Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Good morning, church. I'm very excited today. Um, couldn't sleep. It was like Christmas um, because (laughs) I just really get excited and ignited by the Word of God. And so um, when Pastor Chris asked me to share while he was on sabbatical, I had jokingly told him I would, and then he asked me, and then I was like, oh, okay, cool, we'll do this. So um, I'm excited to share my favorite psalm with you today. Um, And so we're just going to jump right in, and we're going to start with Psalm 130 today. So I'm going to give you a chance to open your Bibles that you brought, the Bibles in front of you, your Bible app for our techie people out there. It's all the Word of God. So open it up to Psalm 130 this morning. And it's a a psalm of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption." He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. Sins. Thanks be to God. All right. So we're continuing our study of Psalms. Um, basically, the, we we're talking about the tracks, the songs of um, our lives and God. And I just, I happened upon a quote when I was researching and kind of getting deeper and meditating on this scripture specifically. And it came from John Calvin. And so I want to share it with you before I dive deeper into the scripture. Um, And it says, and mind you, it's going to be John Calvin, so there's some words. (laughs) What various and resplendent riches are contained in this treasury? It were difficult to find words to describe. I have been wont to call this book, not inappropriately, an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which any can be conscious. This is not here represented as in a mirror. So the part that stood out to me most was an anatomy of all parts of the soul. Um, Some of you know me, some of you don't know me well, um, but I love quotes. Quotes are one of my favorite things. I always share that with people. And it's not because I like, you know, sweet one-liners, but it's because I love when somebody says something so deep that it resonates within you that you can actually feel it too. And I thought that that was something that spoke so truly and deeply to the Psalms themselves because, again, the Psalms say things to us that are so felt truly and deeply that we can actually experience them and experience God through them. So I'm actually going to share a picture, too, to kind of orient us also. Um, so I'll put it on the screen. So this is a picture. Um, this is something I, I made. I created this um, about 2020, actually, right before the pandemic hit. I looked it up because I was like, when did I make this? Um, and I thought also this artistic piece was something good to kind of help us think about the Psalms. So, like, it's an anatomical heart. So I, I drew it based off of the actual anatomy of the heart. 
but it's also an artistic interpretation because hearts aren't blue, right? And so, um, but I think that tells us too kind of how the Psalms work, right? The Psalms, they tell us about who God is and tell us about our emotions, but in a style, poetically, that can help evoke a feeling and give us that, that emotional response that we get from it. It's just like an art piece. Um, and so I just want to jump in and saying that like this heart is going to lead us through this psalm and then we'll, we'll talk about it again at the end of the sermon. So I want to start with the first two verses. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. So in Hebrew, a lot of times, especially the Old Testament, used the words depth to mean things that are very like a struggle, anguish. Um, you think about the word abyss, right? Abysmal. Um, the depths are talking about something that is either internal or externally a struggle of suffering. Um, it's something overwhelming, something that we um, basically, you can't catch your breath, right? You think about if you're in a wave, you go into Huntington Beach, you get caught in a wave, and you can't breathe, and you, don't, you worry a little bit that you're not going to get back to the surface. Think of that kind of when we talk about depths. And I, at first, you know, at a first glance, when you read that, you think of it being something where you're in this desperate plea to the Lord, which is true, but also, if you continue to read it, we find out more about this plea that I think is very important. And so, just to give you a little background, this is actually a psalm that is read within a triad of psalms. So there's three that are read together in order to understand something more. So 130 is sandwiched between Psalms 129, of course, and 131. Um, and these psalms, this triad, is specifically about the righteousness of God overcoming the threat of sin. And if you look back at verse 129, we're basically establishing God's righteousness regardless of the history that has hit Israel. Um, and, you know, a lot of things happen to Israel, so it's a, it's a good thing that we have also Psalm 130, the one we're looking at today, that reminds us that if God is righteous, who can stand before him? Well, the answer is, is we can because of his forgiveness and his unfailing love. And then we end with it with Psalm 131, which allows you to rest in that truth. So even though at first glance we may see this as a lament that is crying out for help, it's also a lament that's cried out confidently to the Lord because the psalmist knows that the Lord, Yahweh, will hear them in their plea. And I think that that's what makes the difference, right? Certainty is the difference. And as we move to the next verse of this beautiful piece of poetry, we're going to see that shift in the tone from not just a desperate plea grabbing at something we don't know, but grabbing at something we are certain of. And so we're going to look at verses 3 through 4. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can in reverence serve you. I read that one, and I always feel humbled by it because I'm like, who doesn't keep score? <laughs> I mean, I think every day we do in some shape or form a way of where we keep a record of wrongs against us. Someone cuts you off when you're driving, right? Your husband didn't do the dishes that you asked him to do. <laughs> you know, just little things. You're like, you feel so like, 
oh, I feel so wronged. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I don't handle those moments where I feel like things have been perpetuated against me over and over again well. But what I think is, is beautiful is that this verse reminds us of the God who doesn't keep a record of wrongs, right? So we look at it, and we reread it again. If you, the Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? The Lord's righteous, and we aren't. And so how can we stand before him? But then it's coupled with, but with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. It's not about us in that moment, right? It's about God. We're saying, who can measure up, Lord? How could we ever measure up? You're righteous, and I'm not. But God's promise is coupled in there, his promise of forgiveness, and his fact that he doesn't hold things against us, that he extends mercy, unmerited favor, grace to us, regardless and so I think now the tone shift happens, right? We go from a plea that, is, that we thought was not certain but is certain because we know who God is. And that's what the Psalms do so well. They tell us who God is amidst those emotions. And now the part that even more stands out to me is the words, with you. But with you there is forgiveness. Not by ourselves, not with a great rap sheet, not with a great resume, with God, all the good things that he has done. Your brokenness isn't too much, it's saying, because my forgiveness is even greater. And that's the confidence that I'm talking about in these verses. There's confidence in who God is. And we're going to keep going. So we're going to look at verses 5 through 6. Um, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning more than watchmen wait for the morning. I think when we see repeated things in the Bible, it's often important, so <laughs> we're going to take a little time on this part of the psalm. Um, again, I, I'm kind of nerdy, and I love words. I love that when you look at the Bible, there's words that we try to define them in our own language, but you can't. you got to look at the original language, right? And so um, I, we, we're going to look at the word hope. In this, po in this poem. It's a poem. It's poetry. And the Hebrew words for hope, there's two of them used here in this scripture. Um, and it would be kava. I don't speak Hebrew well, but kava and yachal, right? And so kava means to wait. So we're equating hope to waiting. But it's related to another word, which is kav in Hebrew, which means cord, and they're like, why a chord? What does that even mean? And I was explaining this to Stephen, and he was like, wow, that, that makes so much sense. So imagine a chord, and you stretch it, right? So a bungee cord, any chord that has tension. And as you stretch that chord, you're holding it in tension with this anticipation that when you release it, you know what's going to happen, right? And so it's that tension of expectation in your waiting that they're trying to describe with that word, kava. And yakal, yakal also means to wait, a lot of waiting. <laughs> but it also means to wait while standing firm. And I think that's different because oftentimes we think of, of waiting as impatient, right? We think of we, right away, you think, I have to wait? But this is describing patiently waiting while you endure. And that's different, right? So let's think, if we think about these meanings, Hope is intrinsically tied to waiting. But biblical hope, now what we're talking about, is not just waiting in vain. 
it's connecting back to what I talked about. It is confidence in our waiting. It is confidence during that tension because we know what is certain. Waiting with expectation is knowing who we rely upon, and that's God. And the psalmist is describing these terms in terms of a watchman waiting for the morning. So whether you talk about a watchman back from the Old Testament or you talk about a watchman now who's keeping watch in the night, what is their job? Their job is to make sure that when we are vulnerable in the night, that the building or wherever you live is actually safe from an attack that could be concealed by the night, right? And so the kind of waiting that they're talking about is imagine a watchman sitting there waiting for first light and they see the dawn rise. For them, that meant that the imminent danger was dissolved with the darkness itself because the light had come. And so that, the waiting, the hope we have in God is even more than that type of relief, beyond that kind of, oh, we're safe. Because we know we're safe. We're confident that we know we're safe. And the waiting is more than just wishful thinking. It's more than beating the odds because we know the odds are in God's favor always and that he will prevail. And this hope is further entwined in God's faithfulness. That is what we look at. In the, in the past, we see God's faithfulness. The Psalms mention that multiple times. We look at the past, but then also we can look to the future because we know that he is faithful. Enter Jesus, right? So as we get to the New Testament, there's a different description of hope. First of all, different language. We're using Greek now. But um, the, the word that is used to describe hope is a different version because it comes after an empty tomb and a resurrection. And so it's a living hope. It's different. And the Greek word for it is LPs. And it describes in terms of expectation of what is guaranteed. And I thought that was, I was like, wow. Perfect, perfect description. And what I thought even further about it, too, that was interesting was LPs comes from the Greek. And LPs is coming from that story of Pandora's box. So I don't know if many of you know the story of Pandora's box, but it's this box that contains all the chaos and the terribleness of the world, the opposite, right, of hope. And Pandora's not supposed to open it, right? But she does. And then snaps it shut, and guess what remains to bring comfort to humanity? LPs, hope. Hope remains regardless. And so I thought that was so interesting to stand together in tension of this idea that hope is certainty. It's certainty. It's not, oh, I hope for something better to happen and come. It's I, I know something will better and be better and come. Now, we're also going to talk about, too, that the, the psalm is, again, putting that what is good and faithful from God the Lord, what he has already done, and he's putting it together with that full assurance because we have Jesus, right? So to enter the New Testament, we have Jesus to remind us of what God has already done. And we wait in full assurance of what's to come despite the circumstances of past and present because God is with us and God is for us. We can anchor our souls as a touch point, right, to the fact that God is faithful and we are given abundant redemption. So we're going to look at the next verses again. And it's seven, right? Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. 
He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Unfailing love, love without bounds, love without constraints, and full redemption, not partial, it is finished, it is done. The Lord provides these things, and I don't know about everyone else in here, but I think that's a hope that I'm willing to hold on to. So we're going to go back to the original picture, um, just to have it on the screen, okay? So then, and Calvin again describes the book of Psalms as an anatomy of all parts of the soul. I'm super geek about anatomy, about anything sciencey and medical. I mean, it's, it's for me, it's amazing because it's such a beautiful, it's like a tapestry, right? It's something that's just layer after layer and things of like how something works and you're just in awe of it. And so I thought about it, like anatomy is just like kind of cartography, like when you make a map too. You've got you know, these both disciplines that offer you perspective to the parts or places that you have been, but also to where you need to go. So sometimes um, we need a map to offer us landmarks and directions, right? We need to be like, I know that that Taco Bell's on the corner and that's where I'm gonna turn. Sometimes we need that. And that's why they put it in Google now. Like Google will tell you, it's by, turn right by the Jiffy Lube. It's so helpful. I'm just saying, I'm directionally challenged, so it's like helpful for me. But, <laughs> but thinking about it in terms of the anatomy, right? For example, a surgeon. A surgeon will take multiple, I mean multiple images of a heart before it, he even decides to do surgery. Multiple. And it's not because I hopefully that surgeon, he or she has not been, you know, in a heart before. I mean, that happens. <laughs> they have to start somewhere. But a well-seasoned surgeon, she may take those pictures because she needs the perspective of where they're going inside that particular heart, that particular situation. They need what we like to call orientation, right? We need landmarks. We need obstacles. We need good anatomy even to be mapped out for us so that we can meet that ultimate goal of correcting of whatever is wrong. So I just want to share a personal story with you guys. Um, so I, some of you might know, but some of you don't. Uh, our son had a congenital heart defect when he was born. And then he had to have major heart surgery when he was four days old. And so I give you the example of the surgeon because I sat in a room as surgeons and doctors came and did multiple echocardiograms of my son's heart. And now imagine state of mind. We're exhausted. Stephen and I were just like freaking out, of course, terrified. Um, but, you know, they're great surgeons, they're great doctors. They come into the room and they explain to you, this is what he has and this is what we're doing, right? But even though we had this explanation again and again, the same way in a simple term, it didn't bring us comfort. And so enter our son's cardiologist, which I'm a big fan of our son's cardiologist because of this reason. And what he did was so different. He offered us an explanation, but he went further. What he did was he came up to us and he's like, sat down quietly, just like looked at us, asked how we're doing, and then he pulled out a piece of paper. And when he was telling us what was going on with our son's anatomy, he drew it for us and took his time to explain it. And then when he was trying to tell us what he was going to do with the surgery and what the plan was for the surgeon, he drew that too. And I think that that takes us back to what we need is not just explanation, we also need orientation. We need those things that give us our bearings. We need those physical, this, in this case, in an anatomical landmark, 
to explain to us these touch points so that whenever something else comes up, whenever something else came up with our son's heart, we knew the end result would be what it was, but we still had the bearings to get to that point in understanding. What does that have to do with this psalm? Psalm 130 reminds us that it gives us both explanation and offering us orientation because hope is waiting in confidence. If the Psalms are the anatomy of all parts of the soul, then Psalm 130 is part of the heart. We'll call it the aorta. I think that's the best part. Um, (laughs) It reminds us of who we are waiting for, right? And points us to our true north, the direction where our our attention should be, our source of our hope, and that is Jesus. That's our explanation, our answer for why we hope. But then coupled with that is waiting, the uncomfortable thing we don't like to always talk about doing, right? Waiting. But waiting is the adjustment of our bearings as we draw nearer to God. That's how I would be waiting. It's not just, again, we're, we're just sitting there waiting for something to happen. We know what's going to happen. We know who we rely upon. And so while waiting is our orientation, it allows us in those moments, whatever it may be, as we get our bearings, may get lost, you may, hit a, you may hit a speed bump. You, you know, may make, make a wrong turn. It doesn't matter because it helps us remember the character of God by looking back to the history and the future that we know. We know the truth of who God is, and we can use that knowledge of his character to help us reorient ourselves when we get off balance. I think it's sometimes hard for us to envision because, again, we look at things in 2D. So that's a picture, right? It's flat. Um, we look at things kind of linear sometimes too. And yet anatomy, even though it's a picture, right, or a map, even though it's flat, it's really 3D. And so is the journey. There's multiple directions. There's multiple layers. They're both behind us, before us, and all around us. And the Psalms, like all of Scripture, are interconnected to a greater understanding of our position in the kingdom. It's the reason why Jesus even quotes the Psalms. It's the reason why Paul quotes the Psalms. It's the reason why we still go back to the Psalms. They're interconnected. So we can think of our journey of faith as a movement towards an end goal of heaven, but then where's the hope in that? If we just think of it as a destination, as an end goal, and that's heaven, then I think we're going to be disappointed because the brokenness of this world will catch up to us. There's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be twists and turns. And if we're only heaven-focused, then we only look for the end. We don't look for what's before us, beside us, and behind us. And that's a shame because God has been with us since the beginning to this point and in the future. So the Psalms, again, remind us of orientation, and it should always be towards God, our object of our hope, our explanation for our hope, not heaven as the destination of our lives. Instead, living hope means that our lives are impacted by what God has done, what God is currently doing, and what he will continue to do in the future for us. And those things are connected together to create this perfect map of what the kingdom of God should really be. And so I'm going to share, every time I read this psalm, I think of this verse from Hebrews. It's verses 1 through 3. Uh, So Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I feel like those go so perfectly together of reminding us that what we are to look to is Jesus, to fix our eyes upon Jesus. I share Psalm 131 because um, it's come into my life multiple times. Um, Multiple times when my world felt shaken and when I felt weary, when I was literally in the depths that the psalmist describes in the beginning, um, and my world was just, sometimes I felt like I was falling apart, but really my world was falling apart. Yeah, I slowly realized that these experiences were basically building, were built up to that point every single time by the different touch points that I had with my relationship with the Lord. And God had already dramatically been working on me and that relationship with him throughout the years before they would hit. And so instead of looking at those experiences of like, okay, there's another one coming, waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't know what's next, but something keeps coming wave after wave. I could hold on to the hope that was confident in knowing what was certain and that Jesus was with me the entire time and that we would make it through together. And so, it's my favorite psalm, because even as I would read it, even as my tears would stain the page, it gave me my bearings of my faith. It kept me from actually falling apart. And that's just something that I just think is so amazing about when we look at the psalms of this connection of emotion that we experience, yet coupled with the truth of who God is. And so, um, it, so the, again, back to this picture. We're going to look at it real quick again. This picture was drawn in 2020, and um, I bring it up to it because I want to remind you of the work God was doing in my life before I even knew it. And, it, it, you know, we always talk about, you know, after. We, it's, it's so nice to know things after the fact. It feels like we should have seen it coming, right? And so <laughs> I'm always like, okay, God, this is awesome, but also like, man, I didn't see that coming. So this picture is actually on our wall. Painted it in um, actually February of 2020. I looked it up. <laughs> and after Jasper, you know, well, Jasper wasn't even a thought at that time. Um, <laughs> and so after Jasper was born, we're going to look at the next slide. This is the new heart that I made. So it's funny because my, my, my good friend Lisa Berry was sitting on our couch and she looked up and this was after Jasper had come home from heart surgery. And she goes, that original picture, she goes, wow, did you realize that that was Jasper's heart that the Lord had already drawn for you in your mind before this all happened? And so for me, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, stunned. And guess what? When I posted that picture, because I like social media, come on. I, I posted it because I like to share with people what I'm working on. And I posted it in 2020. And guess what psalm was attached to it? <laughs> God's funny. He's super funny. I think he's like, Mary, guess what? You're going to share about this one day. <laughs> so I, I had to make the, had to remake the heart. Because again, I have new bearings. And I have new anatomy for it. 
This is exactly the anatomy of Jasper's heart post-surgery. And I thought that that was a perfect and beautiful way to remind me that despite the ever-changing brokenness, despite the circumstances around me that are always changing, God is still in the waiting. God was waiting with me before I even knew I needed him <laughs> when I drew that first rendition of the heart. And so when I look at this heart, I know that even in the darkest times, God will still find a way to shine through. He will still be that hope for me, no matter what. And I just think about it in terms of, you know, that like watchman waiting for the morning, right? It's the light that they're expecting. Well, we have a better light than the light of dawn. We have Jesus. And so I, I'm going to give you another quote, quote of me. I love to, uh, my favorite quote actually. And it's from Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. Such a downer, sorry. But, but the, hope, the hope that it brings in this quote is not a downer. It says, even in the darkest night, the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. And I just think that's such a perfect way of describing exactly what Psalm 130 is saying, that more than watchmen wait for the morning, we have a hope in the one who is Jesus. And he will shine through the darkness because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is helping creating that anatomy of this beautiful kingdom that's inbreaking constantly in our world. Yesterday, now, and forevermore. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.